Welcome to Mr. Cynical. Welcome to Mystical Cynical. My name is Duran. <laughs> I'm Jamie. I, I Google. Uh, I went to I went to to a restaurant in town yesterday, and uh, I you know uh, ordered my food. What's your name, mm-hmm. Darren? I feel like my enunciation's gotten better as well as of my own name. And she said, "Is that spelled with a Y?" And I was like, "Ooh, okay. Oh, yeah. I, it can be. It's yeah. so rarely that someone uh, of customer service or anyone else." picks that spelling. And so then, uh, I, I went through, well, probably she wasn't interested at all, but I was like, you can spell it this way and this way. And then I went outside waiting for my food and I looked up the Wikipedia page for Darren mm-hmm. and the Wikipedia page is D-A-R-R-E-N. Mm-hmm. So probably the most, uh, common, uh, spelling. Right. And then I, I texted you the, uh, <laughs> the, the etymology of, of the word, the name, and it's derived from Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> most likely, most likely speculatively through Wikipedia. And that's yeah. the joke within the show, isn't it? Yeah. I mean that Darren, Daryl is one of the names that you get called. Yep. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I was feeling when and I was reading. We were just out of town and, uh, this old man that we were camping on his property, he, uh, he, we introduced, um, hi, I'm Bianca. Hi, I'm Darren. Hi. And this is Daylou. Hi, David. <laughs> <laughs> like, fuck this poor kid, man. People, yeah. people hear what they want to hear. It's true. Yeah. He wanted, he wanted a David. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's up, dude? Not much. Yeah. It's the longest break that we've had. Yeah. Do you notice anything different about me? Oh my gosh. Yeah. You're, that's right. <laughs> wow. I have a mustache yeah. now. <laughs> no, I am considering growing a mustache though. It's true. Like, and there has been a strangeness that I'm now putting a finger to. I haven't yeah. really been around you. You can't actually, put my right? finger on it yet. I'm still healing. <laughs> no, no, you haven't. I ran into you, you know, as we do as the, the um, spiritual uh, got good fellas in the parking lot and we run into each other <laughs> uh, that, um, yeah, just in passing, but I had a uh, LASIK surgery last, it'll be a uh, week tomorrow. Cause tomorrow I have to go and get, there's actually like bandages on my eyeballs right now that you mm. can't see transparent bandages that they're going to peel off. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, uh, it was quite clockworky orange, the, yeah. the procedure. Yeah. Um, and I think that they try to mitigate, I mean, obviously it's like, it's such a susceptible area for most people. Not everyone's like, yeah, just fucking poke around in my eyeballs. I'm fine with that. And I have, I had glasses for 25 years never, never had contact lenses. Always, even when I put eye drops in, I close my eyes and deposit them into the crook and then open my eyes and let them go in naturally. Just, you know, kind of an aversion to touching my eyes. And mm-hmm. I felt strangely calm about this procedure. But then when we got there, um, he had told, uh, told me beforehand that they were going to give me uh, uh, Valium, mm-hmm. which I've never had before. Mm-hmm. And I started to feel like weird about taking something that was going to affect my self. But they're literally like carving your eyes out. Um, well, so yeah, uh, there's two different procedures and the doctor that I went to does the non-flap procedure. So the flap procedure is when they slice your cornea, flap it open, shoot you with lasers and then reflap, but he does no flap. Um, but it's still quite invasive and, and, um, there were sounds and smells that were happening and he double dosed me on the, on the Valium. Yeah. He came into the room and was like, Hey, how you feeling? And I was like, I'm good. And I, and even before I took the Valium, I was like really calm and I didn't feel any nervousness. And they gave me, came in and like, they just basically like here, here. And they had me take it and then they left. It was a little concerning to think of somebody 
has some proclivity proclivity towards addiction. Right. And you're just like, there's no consent forms totally. or anything being like, Hey, are you okay with taking this? Yeah. So I took it and we, uh, it's like a, um, dissolving in your mouth. And so it's supposed to activate a lot quicker. And I felt no discernible narcotic effect of it, especially not knowing what it's supposed to feel like. Right. And so, you know, that kind of, anytime you take something, you're like, when is this coming out? What is it going to feel like being really in tune with your, yeah. your sort of your balance? And so it didn't feel like anything. He came in and he was like, so how you doing? And he must've read something on me. And I was like, I'm good. I actually feel really good. He's like, you know what? We're going to give you another one. <laughs> it's like, we gave you one drink. We're going to give you a second drink. And yeah. I'm like, all right. I took it. And then, you know, a couple, 10 minutes later, we go into the, to the, to the room and, and yeah, the clockwork orange, like I, so mm. they, they tape your eyelids up and then they put the the little vice the drops. Well, right. yeah, the, no, the like, Oh, the you know what I'm talking about? The, yeah, the scene in Orange where they No, I know his, it well. Yeah. Have his eyelids pried open. And then, yeah, they're basically just like pouring a, a liquid into your eye the whole time to keep it lubricated. And then, and then that sounds fucking, a lot like clockwork. Yeah. Like a laser beam. And then it smelled, it sounded what he's like laser starting. And it was like, it sounded like a fucking etching machine. Crazy. And he kind of, that's what he said, uh, that they basically like, etch the prescription into your eyeball, mm, damn. which is like wild. That's fucking yeah, crazy. It's yeah. like a tattoo. Pretty much. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I'm, it's still, I'm still in the healing recovery period right now. And it's pretty rough. Cause I'll have like moments where it's just like, I can't, I can't look at my phone or my computer or anything like that, which has been kind of nice. Cause I'm just like, well, fuck it. I'm not gonna, yeah. I replied to an email this morning. I was like, I am not even hundred percent sure that I'm spelling these <laughs> words correctly. So yeah, 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 it's been nice, but a huge change. And, and now my face is different. And uh, Patrick pointed out that uh, when people who have glasses for a really long time don't have glasses, it look like their face is like pushed back further into their head. <laughs> yes, that's so true. And now my right. my my very prominent brow is much more right. um, on display and stuff. Yep. So yeah, it's a different face. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. You're, Welcome. You're, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. And I have. I'm starting to get crow's feet, which I'm super proud of and, yeah. and welcoming oh, of, and that I can see a lot more now and stuff. Mm. So yeah, there we are. I was watching the opioid. There's like a special on. Yeah, I saw it was on E Channel. It was you, you featuring you. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. It's so fucking weird. Uh, yeah, that that comes up, but it's um, on HBO and it's called like the greatest crime of the century or something uh-huh. like that. The crime of the century. And um, I was watching it last night, and what you were talking about remind reminded me of, you know, um, early on in the OxyContin phase, like. Like they just got people pushing yeah. shit yeah. everywhere, you know, and doctors pushing it and, and doctors have been trained to know that high doses of opiates are, can be lethal. Uh-huh. And so there's this whole brainwashing going on um, at that period of time when that drug was created by the pharmaceutical industry or not even the industry, but this one company. Mm-hmm. Would and you like to shout them out? I think it's Purdue. Thought, oh, Purdue, yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And who makes chicken as well? Or is it a different family? <laughs> <laughs> the chicken people? That's right. <laughs> they get them doped up. Push on the chicken, opioid. push the opiate. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and I was watching the, uh, you know, corporate videos, like, uh-huh. like corporate, like, uh, you know, get oh, their yeah. employees pumped up thing. Yep. It's very much like cult videos. Sure. Yeah, it yeah, looks absolutely. Exactly like that. Well, because it's 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 a not like don't deviate from from the company thought. It's right. a, we have a mantra, we have a, a mission statement. This is it. Do not be like eh, inject your own little shit into it. It's like yeah, here's what you need to do. Yeah, by the it, letter. But that that pushing the extra pill on you, yeah. is like some echo. Yeah, it feels like of that time for sure. When and like like I I wonder how 
in tune doctors are because you don't come across to me at all. Like you, you don't, you're not shifty. You're not mm-hmm. looking around the room. You don't have like a gray skin color, right? You're not like really adamant about making sure that you get the proper dose. Sure. Like all that stuff in some doctors, I think they become completely aware of like the, I mean, I don't know how I was able to do it back in the day because I, I know that I fit most of that criteria. Yeah. <laughs> I think that I, oh, was, I like that all the gray from your skin went into your beard. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it was covered up by makeup. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, also that the, the benzodiazepine, uh, kick is like makes the opiate kick for me pale in comparison. I don't see. I'm so naive when it comes to any of this stuff. I don't know what that is. So you took a benzodiazepine, you took uh, no, uh, Xanax or was it Valium? Val- Valium. Right. It was even the, uh, like what the generic word for it. So right. Like, yeah. And I wonder if that's a conscious choice. Like to lorazepam. Not, or yeah. Pa- one of yeah. The Pam. So it was in the Pam yeah, fam. The Pam. <laughs> um, I wonder if they do that uh, in a conscious way to like, to, I don't know. It felt like it was, uh, it, the name Valium wasn't like, you know, blasted right. anywhere of like, right. we're going to give you Valium now. There's a it pen was, that says Valium on it. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and honestly, the, when the, when they, and it was such a sterile, cold, weird environment of having to sit in that waiting room for the procedure was maybe six minutes total. And I mm. sat in that waiting room for about an hour and 10 minutes of just, I'm in a room by myself. I'm like looking around at everything. I was like, oh, the company uh, that made this uh, Octon is, is in Buffalo. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Over here, look at that pen holder. Yeah. And when they came in and they just like, it was such like Requiem for a Dream too, where those scenes where everything's just kind of like put when the, the poor mother is like oh, just right. being like pushed through the the doctor system. Yes. And everything's like really nightmarish. It was like that. They came in and I put the, the pill in my mouth and there's this trash can next to me. And I was almost like tempted to just pull it out. And like, I was so, I felt so strange about it. Yeah. How high did you get? No, I don't, I don't like, it wasn't like, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm like light or anything. The only thing I can recall was, um, on the drive home, I was in extru- excruciating pain. Right. And this taxi cab driver was, uh, driving like a taxi cab driver does on a, on a long voyage. And I just was like doing all I could to like hold in the pain. And when I actually got back here, I was, I don't know, maybe if you, I don't know if you guys heard me, but I was like, like wailing audibly. Mm. I was in that much pain. And, um, and then I, I sent, wow, uh, man. Patrick a message where mm. I kind of caught him up. And yep. then, um, the next day I sent him a message and caught him up and go, well, I'm pretty sure I told you all of that already. So there was like kind of just a haziness and like a, sure. a forgetfulness. But as far as like being like hot, like high, like, oh, this feels good. Zero. You were wailing in pain. Yeah. Wow, man. <laughs> and there was not really... like, there would nothing would have been, you wouldn't have been able to do anything about it. It was in my, just in my eyes. Like it was, it felt like somebody was pouring like some acid into my eyes and I don't, and, and I, I, I hesitate to Jesus. share that part. Cause I, cause I know that, um, someone reached out to me when I mentioned, I got LASIK and they're like, oh, I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about it the show. And not mm-hmm. that I want to hold anything back, but I also like anytime I have a bad or a difficult experience like around psychedelics or with anything, it's, I hesitate to share it because then someone is already carrying that into their mind and go, totally. oh, I'm going to have this. And so maybe they don't do it and stuff. So I've heard many more stories where people weren't wailing in pain from LASIK surgery. So mm-hmm. like go, go down that road. But well, I was out of town, so I wouldn't have heard you, but maybe, maybe you heard me my, from out of town. My heart, my heart heard you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, what I was talking about, the kick is that opioids, have like a duration of a, of a withdrawal mm-hmm. and it depends on the severity of your use. Um, but it can last, you know, I, I had, uh, by the time I was getting off of everything for real, I had been taking methadone, mm-hmm. which this is kind of insane, but 
you know, they prescribe and have since I want to say the seventies or maybe even the sixties, this drug methadone that's meant to compete with the, the, um, the opioid kick and sort of like make it so you can go show up to a job mm. and make it, but so, high being high, but you, you are high if you take a high dose of it, but they, if they're doing it right, you're just going there to get well. Right. And you get your amount to get well for the day. You go out and you do your thing and then you line up either that night or mm -hmm. the next day. But that drug, much like the drugs that they have now, one of them is called Suboxone. Mm -hmm. It's they use it to help wean people off, but people can get addicted to that stuff. And it's way more addictive. Like the hooks are way. Yeah. They grab you more. Yeah. <clears throat> And so when I was kicking finally in the end in that treatment center, it took me two weeks before I could sleep mm -hmm. before I could like do anything normal. I was just in a constant flu state. That was like the worst flu oh, of your life. God, yeah. So, I mean, going through that and like starting to feel better, like you just don't forget it, you know? And, and some people do, and I feel really lucky watching this show. Like I couldn't help but be struck by the fact that I survived the opioid ep epidemic. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was right there at the start of it. Like I got sober off of opiates in 2003, opiates, meth. I'd been using a lot. That was my main thing. And I did it in that treatment center and I did it just completely cold turkey, which yeah. is, as Homer Simpson says, is less delicious than it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, yeah, so starting to feel better. It's like, fuck, I will never forget that kick. It's amazing that you went through an epidemic yeah. and a pandemic. Right. Exactly. <laughs> a couple of, couple what's, of, uh, what's meth like? Well, I, I liked using it when I was younger. Um, I would snort it and that was pretty popular at the time. And, and there was something called crank, yep. which was like, um, a powdery version of meth that was like, um, almost wet. And like, there was some peanut, like it looked like peanut butter at times. It could show oh, up like wow. real sticky and not gooey. as delicious as it sounds. No, I'm sure. <laughs> not at all. Peanut butter crank. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, um, all the things that you're kind of like the grind of the day, like all of that stuff mixed like go away mixed with all the things that you're really into. Yeah. Or like, you're like, God, I wish I could do more of that. Mm -hmm. You just do that. Yeah. But you also don't like, you can really focus in on doing stuff or I could, right. I was able to focus in on doing things and have really engaging conversations and much like, you know, it's not, it's a cousin of MDMA. I like how you said MDMA. <laughs> <laughs> well, the MA in MDMA is methamphetamine. Oh, right. Of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. methamphetamine. And so, uh, it's just a slight. So it has that, like, um, that joyous, like, yes. you're, yeah, you're stoked. You're like, you're in a great. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. And then you mix that. So later on, uh, I mean, I use that a bit and I would do, I would get some to like clean the house. Uh huh. Like, like use as an abrasive. Oh no, to take it. And, <laughs> I could have. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> little for the cabinet, little yeah. for me. <laughs> little. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So yeah, I I think it's on. Un- well, no, I was going to say I think it's unfortunate that that we can't find some kind of balance within that uh, use as a, as a tool and not and then you know yeah. obviously fall into crippling dependency and, and right. all that shit. But I've often uh, and again I have I have basically zero experience with pharmaceuticals, which is probably a good thing. But mm-hmm. I've always had a, a really uh, a fascination and a desire, um, not enough to ever go out and obtain it, but with Adderall of that. Oh yeah. Of like, I feel like I often, my, my default is whatever the opposite of Adderall, the effects of Adderall are. Yeah. Of that right. scatterbrain, like can't get shit done because yeah. it's just like, it's like too many, Viana has puts it in a great way. It's too many tabs open in the browser oh, totally. of the mind. That's right. <laughs> like, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So if anyone's got any, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's one of those things that oh, Adderall, unfortunately, pharmaceutical grade speed is like for people who need it or for people who get their hands on it, like it's incredibly engaging. Yeah. It is one of those things that like is really hard to get off of because you just go, what, what, like, why, why, right. like, this is fine. Right. And, 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 and why, why, like, honestly, why? Like, cause it's just bad for you. <laughs> it, it, it basically what, if you ever see people who've used meth a long time, like it just takes years off their life. Because right. of all that enthusiasm. And is that right? Is it just like, it basically fast forwards you? It does. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of, I mean, it certainly rots out your system. You're, you're taking in like methamphetamine in uh, the kind of use that, you know, if you're buying it off of a dealer and you're not getting Adderall, non-pharmaceutical grade speed is made with like acetone. Right. So you're basically taking in you know, you're taking in like chemicals, shit that you find underneath a cabinet. And I, so I took it for fun. It would be very concerted. Like I'm going to clean the house today or, Hey, we got to record a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) No. And we would get it. And like one of the funnest times I ever did meth was, um, and that's this tattoo. Where is it there? Yeah. See this thing, you know, yeah. What is that? I've it's familiar, but not enough to know what it is. There's a, on a record, um, seven inch records. Yeah. Or the, you know, there's a, that huge hole in yeah. the middle and oh, it fills it in. Yeah. Right. It's a flat. Does spacer. someone have, does, has someone use that as a logo? Um, yeah, no, people have used it for like, I don't know, fat beats, you know, yeah. the record store. I think they might've used okay. it and okay. like it's, it's shown up a bit in pop culture. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, it's a good conversation started this tattoo for people who, who love vinyl. Yeah, yeah right, exactly. Right. Or kids who grew up like my, my mom's, you know, uh, the, her, the era of her youth, like people like that, that age in their sixties, like they're like, Oh, I haven't seen one of those. In right, it's right. a good one. You know, it's a good yeah. starter. So how does it tie into methamphetamines? Oh, well my dad. Also, by the way, like I've talked about, we like how we, how we're parsing <laughs> out our, our tattoos. Like we, yeah. Know, oh, that's kind of come up right every now and then. Right. Yeah. 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 We're not doing a whole tattoo episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my dad gave me when I turned, I guess I turned 18, my dad gave me 10,045s. 10,045s. Holy shit. Those little, see, he just, he had bought out a, a record store and he was keeping them in his garage and he wanted to clear the garage. And I had an apartment with my band, Holliston Stops, and um, three of the members lived in this place and then our bass player lived elsewhere. And all three of us really liked those occasional meth binges. And so what we did was we got some speed. We went over with a truck, filled up this truck with all these boxes of, of 
45 RPM records, brought them back to the house, set up two record players and just went through all these old titles for a day. Like, I mean, into the night, we're pulling out all these strange titles and going like, what the fuck's this Spider-Man, like country Western, like (laughs) what, you know, and you listen to that or like, and it's where I got, oh, there's a breathing. (laughs) (laughs) I heard it. Well, you, you do take in, you do take in air. And honestly, I, when you talk, I'm literally holding my breath, but not because of, (laughs) that's just the way I breathe or or don't breathe. Gotcha. (laughs) But that tattoo is, is to remind me of that time, which was a really fun time. And it was a lot of it was brought to you by meth. Yeah. Right. You know, and it was a good, so I, I had these concerted times where you would learn about stuff like that. And it would be like a, there would be some byproduct of it. Like you come out with a demo from your band or whatever. Right. But then it, it gets further into like, as I met with opiates, which was based in basically the same situation that you just had where I went and I got a tooth pulled Mm -hmm. and then they gave me Vicodin and I was like, holy shit, this is really good. And I was like, Hey everybody, this is really good. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm like sharing it with my friends. Uh huh. And then it was over and I, I think I was out of the bottle before I was out of the pain yep. of the wisdom tooth being pulled or whatever. So I was like, I made a decision that I wasn't going to share them the next time. And I was going to like, look forward to my next tooth being pulled. Right. And well, so you that, should take the meth. So you lose the teeth. So you get the Vicodin. <laughs> Hold on a second. I'm going to hear first. I'm going fully horizontal right now. I'm <laughs> nice. so, I'm just really tired. Oh, look at that. That's, that's great. Good, right? man. Yeah. yeah. It's cash. Um, so then, so then later, you know, when I'm, I hooked up with opiates, like, <laughs> and I was doing those for a while and that was all like, you know, that, that pharmacy, which is a two, two completely different experiences, uppers and downers. Totally. Right? Yeah. Totally different experiences. And so I was, I got hooked on opiates and then it was like, God, you know, this is like I'm a little sluggish. Right. Need a little bit of meth. So that pharmacy that I worked at that I was had that deal with the pharmacist or whatever, who was the pharmacist's assistant who, yeah, I mean, it's a crazy story. And it's like the, the regulation at that time was not as stringent. Sure. And it was just before like the, the epidemic, the opioid epidemic had made it out to the West coast. It was mostly back, back East. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know how this person was able to make all these pills disappear, but he would sneak them out and bring them to my house and and then i would either sell them or whatever and uh so i started getting pharmaceutical grade speed what like what what is what use is that in pharmaceutical terms um dieting like they it was used in the fucking yeah right yeah i guess so right for dieting and but i think for attention like they were starting to i think attention deficit disorder had started to rear its head yeah and so it was being prescribed for that. And there's a whole host of things. And it was called, uh, what's it called? Uh, Dex, Dexedrine. Uh-huh. And so I was taking Dexedrine and opiates like all the time. And was it like almost like it meets in the middle of totally. that? Yeah. And it was just like, I could live the rest of my life like this. Yeah. That's really what it felt like, you know? And, and then, um, you know, I, I got, I, I was in that band Arlo and we had been playing for about a month and then we got signed to sub pop and then they put us on tour with the shins and I was the desert. I was the driver because mm-hmm. 
I was really awake and felt really good. And I didn't mind driving because wow. I had the opiates going and I, and, and I had endurance going because I had the meth going. And that basically what ends up happening is you, you want less distractions between you and being able to administer drugs to yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was just listening today um, and it's, it's a new podcast and uh, midnight miracle, Dave Chappelle and it's Dave Chappelle, most deaf and Talib Kweli and most deaf tells the story about hanging with Amy. It's Yassine Bay. It is yeah. Yassine. Yeah. needs to tell him the story about hanging out with Amy Winehouse and he does it really well. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, he's talking about the, like hanging out with her when, when, uh, when she was deep in her addiction and it's a really great depiction of what it's like to be a drug addict and to have it told by somebody who wasn't, mm. who was there just witnessing the scene. And it made me really grateful that I had made it out of that because people fucking motherfuckers don't make it out of, For the, sure. of this thing. You yeah. Know? And then to beyond that, like the value in the experience of making it out of life, it's sort of like if you survived the twin towers or something like that, mm-hmm. And then you know what it's like to survive a tragedy. And it's a very specific kind of thing. And like there are tragedies all over the world. And it would be like you becoming somebody that can help people having been there yourself in a in something unfathomable. Sure. And turning your life into like that. I mean it just makes the most sense. I knew nothing more about life that of of being hurt by life, medicating life and then surviving the medicating and surviving all of that Yeah, and working through it all. And then sort of like having this be like, well, Oh, and and music, I just, I, those are the things I knew the most about. So to make it out of that and to, to turn your life into something where, you know, you're helping people with this very specific thing and things that mimic not just, not just, uh, addiction, but the causes of addiction, like the pain that people feel. Sure. The loneliness. Well, I think that's the universality around it all is that we all experience the same struggles. And then there's, uh, I think there's a combination of, of access of, uh, proclivity yeah. of genealogy, because I'm just thinking about how, you know, uh, we both share in insecurity and, 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 uh, lacking just as every, as every person does. And then to think of like, I could have very likely gone down the same path had those things been totally. available to me. And totally. I just happened to grow up in a place that that wasn't the, op- that wasn't the case. Right. And so I don't think well, I don't know. And it's also, you know, we can't, we can't pull apart our, our insides enough to know, but I think that this also seems to be a certain uh, proclivity where mm-hmm. some people are just, just not like the way that I took that Valium and felt kind of nothing. Didn't feel like I want more of this. Right. I had a, I dislocated a knee, uh, I don't know, fucking 20 years ago or something playing f- 
tackle football with some friends, which sounds like the most barbaric thing now in my close mm. to being 40 and having a child and the idea of tackling another man yeah, is like horrifying. Throw your hip out. Oh, Jesus. And somebody tackled, <laughs> tackled into my leg and my, and just popped my knee out. And oh, then wow. I was on some kind of, uh, I don't think it was oxy, but it was, you know, it was some kind of pain reliever and yeah, it just didn't really, right. didn't, didn't, like you said, with the hooks, yeah. didn't really get into me. Yeah. You're, I don't know what that is. I, I mean, I think part of it, they say that, that like addiction, like um, your family history loads the gun and then the tra- trauma in your life shoots it, like mm-hmm. it pulls the trigger or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so that there's that combination that's really interesting. And I think just time also and what you're exposed to, like if you were exposed to people doing that and I just happen to believe watching all my favorite drug stars, I always wanted to be drug like, stars or drug rock stars. stars. Oh, drug stars. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> drug stars. Yeah. I mean, and I'm saying drug stars and I don't, I don't think I've ever said that before, but I mean like, yeah, drugged out stars, <laughs> Sure. you know, and dating back to like river Phoenix and, dying at the Viper room and all that type of stuff. Yeah. There's some quality of it that I never wanted to die, but I was interested in kind of finding out where the line is. Sure. And feeling good along that way. Yeah. Which I still am interested in, in, in examining that line, but not so, I mean, not, not through tragedy through just like knowing that that exists and exploring the notion of like death being in the design of life. Yeah. There's a song by Wilco and it's on, it's like the last song on uh, sky blue sky and it's called on and on. And he says, uh, it's a really beautiful song. Sing it. It's uh, sing it to us right now. On and on and on. (laughs) Oh yeah. We'll be together. Yeah. Uh huh. On and on and on, we'll stay together, yeah. And he's singing that, and it's like this very pretty sort of like it, it feels mysterious. It feels like not. It feels like not settling uh-huh. music. And then he says, "Please don't cry. We're designed to die." And I was like, "Fuck, man, that is like that's my life." Yeah, like is seeing the design of death within life and acknowledging that, and so making the most of my life. Sure. So I'm confronted with how far I've come. I don't think about myself as like being uh, a former addict anymore. That's an identity that some people need to stay really tight with to remind themselves. And I'm a future addict. I think that's what I'm looking forward (laughs) to. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We got to watch it. But that, so this whole conversation got started about also about you talking about taking benzodiazepine, which is Valium. And so I had some years sober. Um, I think like by the time I started experiencing anxiety deep into like stark ass naked sobriety, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I was in therapy. Okay. Let me see. This is like 2010, 2011. I'm in therapy and the therapist says you have PTSD from this one moment in your life and was it 9-11 no 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 and it's a terror i can't even say what it was but it was like someone like it was like someone really close to me yeah it was just like a really that's fine yeah okay so 
so uh, that had happened to me um, while I'd been sober. And I was at the point where I was, and I've talked about this before this part, but I would like walk outside and I would need to throw up because there was too many possibilities Mm. of things that could happen. And I was scared, that scared of life. And like to think that, Oh, over there, maybe something can come at me because now I had been exposed deep into like, I'd had all these experiences, but nothing like this specific thing that happened while I was sober. And, and so like now the world was full of possibilities of anywhere at any time. And I was seeing all those anywhere, anywhere I'd go, it was like a matrix of possibility. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I noticed it because I, I walked outside the house and I would throw up. Yeah. And so I'm going into therapy. I'm like seven years sober. They say you have PTSD. Somebody writes me a prescription and I'm like really apprehensive. And I, I, the only saving grace about it was that I knew that I didn't like benzodiazepines. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an opiate feeling. It wasn't a meth feeling. And those two were like the top shelf for me. Yeah. So I was like, okay, so this in conjunction with going to this therapist who was really helpful and I saw him for two years and I was, uh, taking clonopin, which is like in a low dose of this one that they say is safer and all that, but it's not. And then I was like, okay, well I've worked through this thing and I was feeling good about the work that I'd done in therapy and it's a couple of years, you know, of like really taking stock, you know, with this person. And so I'm like, all right, well, I want to get off of this medication. And a friend of mine said, man, the fucking benzo kick is just way worse than opiates. Mm-hmm. And had warned me, he was like, you're, and he's this person who was like, he liked to sound the bugles of like, like, this is going to be terrible. You know, he's just like yeah. one of those guys. Yeah, I love those people. <laughs> Wait and, till he becomes a parent and shares it with all the other parents. Right. Right. No, no, for real. And, and part of that is like, has been demonstrated from, from this person, um, being a parent. <laughs> it's a, a parent. Yeah. <laughs> so I get off of it and I have two kids and I'm married. It's sorry. It's, it doesn't yeah. seem like your life fits in the 40 some odd years that you've lived. It's like insane to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just, I was thinking the other day of like how day lose three and your kids are well beyond that. And I'm just like, it doesn't even obviously, cause I didn't know you. So I don't know that time, but it's just like, yeah, anyway, it's, yeah. it's a trip to me to think about how much life you've lived in, by, in the time. Uh, thanks. Yeah, no. And it is. And by the time I was three, I actually makes me want to go outside and throw up so many, <laughs> so many possibilities. <laughs> So I, yeah. And at three, I was just thinking like when I was day lose age, I, I knew what I was going to do the rest of my life. And I was like actively moving toward that. Like I, I, I'd gotten applause with your neighbor. (laughs) (laughs) I'd gotten applause from singing a song at a family thing. And Uh I was like, Oh, this is it. Yeah. This is it. And then MTV was out and I'm like, yes. Yeah. Your time, your timeline also just like lines up with the history of the world with, with the advent of MTV and, and just like, yeah, it feels like you're, you're living in the time that you're supposed to be living in. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, man. If that makes sense. (laughs) And you know what you said at one point, it was hilarious. Thanks. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
you said, because, uh, you know, I've come up with all these pictures and it's like, oh, here's yeah. me and the singer Blur. <laughs> and where is this in your life? Like, and here's you and Bono or whatever. And you're like, you're like that show Quantum Leap, <laughs> <laughs> but like insignificant historical <laughs> events. <laughs> It's so awesome. <laughs> like, yeah, it's not like the Gettysburg Address, yeah. like the Tibetan Freedom yeah. Concert, but it was culturally important. <laughs> no, yeah, that was funny that I said that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, I'm coming off of Benzos. And, and you have both and kids or I, just been, both, both kids? Yeah. And like, they're small. And, and I remember like, you know, we talk about the Bardo on this show. Yeah. That in-between place, in between death and your next birth, where you just experience your karma. That's like what I refer to as being the living Bardo is like a, ben a benzo kick. Wow. Like I didn't want to, I, I could not imagine living feeling this way. And I, I had to, I was confronted with that feeling all day. Mm -hmm. Yet I was too, like I couldn't die. Right because I'm a father and all that, but like, that's yeah. how bad it was. Kids are always getting in the way of death. Aren't they? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was psychological. Sure. Completely psychological made visceral constantly. Ugh. No sleep, just agonizing. Yeah. And so I say that I, I imagine maybe there's some better methods at this point to be able to come off of them, but really like it, if you're on benzodiazepines and you've been on a while, like get a lot of help coming off of them. I began. And, and benzo. Yeah. Right. No, seriously. Um, yeah. That's the only one that they say that can compete. Just a fucking a bark of but, a goddamn tree. Right. Who would have thought well, plants have any help in this world? And that's, I was confronted with that recently too, or like, okay, now like, we're we're we've returned to fucking mushrooms yeah after all this technological all this scientific achievement yeah we're now <laughs> digging through cow shit yeah to get the answer yep which is fucking amazing if i wasn't laying down so comfortable right now i would have hit the fart button so that's what i'm just gonna do now i'm just gonna say when i was gonna hit the fart button when I'm <laughs> you know what i mean though i like, do yeah like in, i mean which is beautiful that we get to, your times yeah and, right right um i sent aviana sent me this thing and, and i meant to bring it back up uh to rewatch it but it was this it was this very uh and i don't think it was intentionally creepy uh or or like um you uh, dy dystopian, but it was this woman kind of talking about her day and how, you know, Oh, it's a struggle. And it's like hard. And it's like, it very much feels like a pharmaceutical commercial, but uh -huh. it has like a, I don't know, a nicer edge to it. Or, and it also had like kind of a black, it was strange. It had like a black mirror kind of feel to it. Mm. And it was like, what is this product that you're about to like introduce to me? But it was essentially a micro dosing like company. And so those are like very huh. much like bubbling in the market, oh, yeah. in the marketplace and the stock market of like these companies are starting to go public and stuff like yeah. that. And so there's just this, these kind of murmurings, the, the shroom boom or the mush rush right. of these, of how <laughs> the this stuff's rush. coming to, to, to the forefront of fucking MDMA of is yeah. like, it's, and that is a synthesized thing. It's an, just not existing in nature other than sassafras, which yeah. is like, is being defor like the planet's being deforested for the sassafras that goes in is like sass oil uh -huh. goes in MDMA um, production. It doesn't need to. From what I understand. Well, it's like what Hamilton was saying. Hamilton yeah. Morris was about this, the, the MDMA. The you can make it for black pepper. Oh, really? Yeah. He said you can Hold make on, it for I'll be right back. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, which one are you talking about? Well, the the toad, the um, oh yeah, the yeah. the five sure. meo yeah. DMT, and, yeah. and how that that that's, that's the the Sonoran toad is being decimated, and he's like, we can very easily make this synthetically and have no detriment on the the ecosystem, right? Well, which I is mean, like, we're giving PTSD potentially to yes. The irony of it is is sick. Yeah, yeah, like to to make ourselves better to have a a, yeah. tw- a fifteen minute rush where you meet God yeah. and like. Like that, that toad thinks I just met God and it squo- it squoze me and put me back down <laughs> yeah, to live the rest right. of my life without any answers. Yeah. Yeah. For and sure. there's this snobbery around, and I hate to call it that, but I mean, of course people want something that is naturally derived, like getting it from the toad feels like it's kind of alive, Yeah, but it can be synthesized and it is being synthesized and, and and it's cruelty free. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's, that is like very much just a stance that people I feel like want to take. And, uh, and you know, even with the situations around, uh, lab grown meat or, or, you know, meat oh, alternatives yeah. and yeah. stuff where it's just like, you can kind of, you can use science to cut corner or not cut yeah. corners, but to, 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 to do a better version of what we've all just like come accustomed, become accustomed to. And like, I can't live without meat. All right, well we can use a stem cell from a meat to make a, like there's ways to hack this, this, this existence. Yeah. And I, and I'm, I'm all for at least attempting or trying or seeing how it goes without it going completely like mad scientists and stuff. Totally. But I think totally. that we can, we can, it does feel like hacking. And especially in the idea of, of us living in a simulation, which, you know, every day that gets weirder and weirder, it feels more like that. And so it is just this like becoming the creator and mm-hmm. becoming, finding out ways to, to reverse engineer what's already here and be yeah. like, well, we can put that together too. We can, right. we can do that without suffering. Yeah. I wonder, do, do you, and by the way, I just want to close out the Benzo thing of like saying, I know that I've painted a story of how difficult it was. It, I it's like it. me with the LASIK. Like, don't let Jamie's story right. stop you from taking benzos. Please, <laughs> please, folks, have your own experience. <laughs> That's right. No, but like if you're, if, if you're facing that, if you've been on benzos for a while and you want to get off of them, like I did it on my own. I didn't do it with supervision. Like I didn't involve a doctor. I mean, I, I got ideas like the doctors, I think wanted me to stay on it. They would have been fine with me staying on it, but I wanted to get more clear. Mm-hmm. And so coming off of it, I did it on my own and it didn't have to be that difficult. Sure. And it's survivable. Now with benzodiazepines, the only withdrawal that can kill you is benzos and alcohol. Mm. Like the sudden stop kills people. And I mean, because it's just so difficult on your heart and mm-hmm. mind. And, uh, so those are the two that if you're coming off of them, get medical attention and, and have some sort of oversight, uh, when doing them and, 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 and it's survivable. I mean, there's lots of people who've been addicted to benzos and gotten off of it and I haven't looked back, but it's, you just were taking it. I, I, I never liked it because it made me feel drunk. Yeah. You know, and just kind of, yeah, like it was an, it, certain, it was earth. an inebriant for sure, right. which, yeah, again, it's just like, I don't want to feel that way. I want to be as clear as possible. Yeah. Which is why I want Adderall. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, man. I mean, sometimes like, I just remember that feeling and, and, you know, it's not one of those things that I should probably ever do again. And I swore that, you know, it's been like, it's been uh, since 2003, since I've had that. So like, we're coming up on 20 years, you know, like 18 years now down the line without any meth. And mm-hmm. Mate has been just fine. Yeah. Know, giving me the energy I need. Um, do you have any defining moments from your childhood where like, have you ever, 
um, as an adult, seeing something that you watched when you were younger and like, and seeing like a vision of how, uh, how you were going to become something like that, like something that influenced you that the influence, the imprint of the influence is still with you. Well, I think since that's, that question is so specific that you have an answer to it. So well, no, you go do. first and then, cause I don't, okay. I don't know that I necessarily understand the, the, the question. Well, I was watching. Okay. So I was watching, um, Saturday night live, Stephen Colbert. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, Seth Myers. this is more random. Okay. Um, so the very first, um, the very first like charitable, like multi artist, uh, collaboration to, if, uh, was it Live Aid? No, it was before that, but the, the founder of Live Aid, Bob uh-huh. Geldof from this band, the, the Boomtown Rats, he, he started a thing around Christmas time. Oh, was this called, with Springsteen and Tina Turner? Before and, that. Oh, Jesus that's the American Christ. version. Okay. So this is the British version. This is the guy who started it all. This song, you know, the song Feed the World. Yeah. Let them know it's Christmas. Uh huh. Yeah. And it's yeah. got like, it's got everybody. Staying. From, yeah. It's like, yeah, exactly. Bono. Yep. So I was obsessed enough as an MTV kid to be obsessed on this thing. We, yeah. we got the record. It was being played on radio, K Rock back in, in my day. <laughs> um, and uh, I remember my mom bought the, the VHS um, of the making of it. Nice. And it's like a 30 minute making of, and it's all this behind the scenes stuff with like, yeah, all those artists that you mentioned. I mean, Phil Collins is playing drums and like bon, um, uh, Simon Le Bon from Duran Duran, all these people, Spandau Ballet, all these bands that probably are not, I don't know, a lot of people do pay attention to this culture, <laughs> to 80s culture at this point <laughs> and 90s. All the kids are dressed in 90s. Uh, it's so gross. It's fucking crazy. Um, but anyway, so. I watched it recently. It's on YouTube. You can watch the making of Feed the World. Uh, it's, and um, I forget what it's called. It's called Band Aid. Oh, Band Aid. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And so that turned into Live Aid, which turned into USA for Africa, uh, We Are the World and all that. We Are that the was, World. That's the one that, that yeah. I had as a kid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so the British one. So I was watching this. I watched it over and over again. For whatever reason, at a, as a kid, I wanted to know what made people like who they are. Well, I think it's also the, the, the kind of the, the shared fascination we have with like reading the liner notes yes. and, and, and also it's, of the that. time you had not much else to look That's at. And true. so you're just digging through whatever content you have. You're, you're so fucking true. pulling it apart as many yep. ways as you can. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, totally. So, so this video, I watched it over and over yeah. when, I was, when I was young and, and, uh, I mean over and over and, uh, I watched it recently and I'm like, this is exactly what I became. Mm -hmm. It's mixing two things, helping people and music. Uh And then all the, uh, and this video that I watch is also the behind the scenes stuff of like where I'm learning more about people yeah, and what makes them the artists that they are and all that. And all of this is my life. It's like I, this thing made it, 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 left this lasting imprint on me that found me in every area of my wow, life. Wow. That's amazing. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. And it's a fun one to watch anyway. Just it's, you know, if you remember that time I, I, or if you're interested in it, it's on YouTube and you know, I, I, it got me thinking like, I can't believe that encapsulated in this thing is like who I became. And I was, uh, it made me think about you also. Do you have anything? Like that? <clears throat> 
Uh, we are the world. <laughs> no, but it is so weird to think about like growing up in the eighties and nineties and, yeah. uh, just the, uh, I don't think we've ever talked about this, but there's an artist, uh, which funnily enough was brought up the other day when we were texting each other, but the, uh, Joe Roberts who, Oh yeah. 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 Who, 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 for those who don't know, he's an artist. He, uh, God, how do you, I mean, psychedelic artist doesn't even begin. He's a DMT specific. He's, he's, he draws DMT art. Yeah. So he, he, he transcribes his experiences right. on DMT through art. And it's very, if we're going to, um, try and describe it, it's, it look, it's not necessarily like, okay. So you take someone like Alex Gray yeah. who does psychedelic oh, right, art right, and right, Joe right, Roberts right, right. and put them as far away from each other as possible. Yeah. And Joe Roberts is on the end of like, and I'm sure he'd be the first to admit it. We kind of rudimentary magic markers, crayons, kind of just scribbly, yep. uh, a little bit of, you know, childlike kind of qualities to it. But I remember, and it's kind of all like woo, tying back, but mm-hmm. uh, the man, the guy who used to, can we say his name? We used to live here. <laughs> Oh yeah. 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 So a dude named Carson used to yeah. live here. And when I first met Jamie and Lacey, uh, I honestly just completely forgot that we were doing a podcast for a second and I'm just feel like we're talking. <laughs> so great. great. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I came over to, uh, to, to see your place. And then you, you, uh, oh, yeah. in your excitement, <laughs> we're like, you got to come in and see Carson's art and, and car and you invited me over and, and put, put I Carson, invited you to Carson's house. Yeah. You put Carson on the spot, which is so funny because if we're going to try and keep this linear, but right. when I finally moved in here, yeah. you did the same thing to some other people. He's like, you got to come in and see yeah, Darren's art. Yeah, you're like, like, no, yeah, <laughs> no, I let the people know you did, but you I did. stayed outside and I said, you just make yourselves at home. Right. Um, and so you showed me, uh, came in and showed me Carson's art and Carson's art is kind of, it falls in, in sort of in the, what I feel like in that Joe Roberts vein of like, Oh, he'd be honored. It's not. He uh, bought me that book, actually. Carson oh, bought he did. me the the Joe Roberts book. We yeah. ate the acid. Yeah, we ate the acid. Um, and so I saw it. I, I think Carson had it here and I might have just spotted it or somehow he, Joe Roberts got brought up and I saw it and I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is incredible. Like it's really, really incredible. And, and it's also like, I think maybe someone someone might find it surprising that I like it as much as I do because it, because it's messy and it's whatever, but it, but it like does. Sister Cody. Yeah, exactly. For sure. And I, so it, yeah, so it resonates on some level of truth for me and, and within the Joe Roberts thing is just like, uh, he's, he's depicted spaces where I'm like, I've fucking been there. And mm-hmm. it's obviously like when you're there, it's, it's 900 more million more dimensions. Sorry. Something's ringing. It's probably a s- scam likely. Um, we'll just let it ring out. Yeah, of course. Um, and so, yeah, so he's depicting these scenes where I'm like, fuck man, that is about as accurate as I, as I can imagine. And also within his, uh, within his depictions, he'll put in the Ninja Turtles or Mickey Mouse or these very kind of, um, pop culture icons, but are very much of the eighties and nineties for me, especially of like my childhood. And there's something else about that that hits another dimension of of when I'm in Iowa, when I'm in the ayahuasca space. Yeah, it has an eighty, and I've talked to a friend about this, and she share, shares the same kind of view. Is that it has a very eighties nineties motif to it, <laughs> where it's like, God, sometimes I'm in that space and I'm like, this is yeah. kind of fucking tacky, and like, like Atari. Yeah, Atari, and yeah, so it just all it all is in that eighties nineties like early, um, just things, things were just new. Like, yeah. you know, nothing was derivative. Everything was kind of unique. Tron. Yeah. Well, even Tron's like too clean. And, yeah, and anyway, so. it's, it's yeah. difficult to explain, but the, if you yeah. look at Joe Roberts book, we ate the acid. Uh, I'd love to hear if anybody else is like, sees that and just like, holy shit, especially with like the Mickey mouse and the Ninja turtles and the just like, yeah. So, so it's also weird to be like, okay, so that space 
uh, it, it presumably is is it does not is not affected by time. So ayahuasca, right. the space with DMT, the space mushroom space, the space you go to has no revel has no reference of time. Yeah, and so is it that I'm bringing my 80s, 90s, all like you said, of like the things that you experienced as a child and, and the, the ways that you were uh, affected or the way that you were influenced. Is that why I see that in that space? And Joe Roberts right. is probably about the same age as me or a little bit older. Yep. And so I guess it would be interesting to <laughs> to maybe show that to like some Ayahuasquero in like Peru and be like, do you kind of get this 90s, 80s motif too when you're in there? Mickey yeah, Mouse, uh, Merlin, Raf- <laughs> Donatello, uh, Raphael kind of situation <laughs> happening here. So it's, it's, it's crazy. And it's also, just again just continues to just completely (laughs) befuddle me and and make it go i have no fucking clue what's going on yeah yeah Yeah. and 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 coming back to that that story of uh how i brought you over to carson's like carson about a month like when you and i were first we had i think we had we had met at the dinner Mm -hmm. and then i was in very early ground laying with you mm-hmm. like like i laying sent, the pipe yeah <laughs> <laughs> i had, had sent you my number i think i sent you my number on instagram yep. and then you texted me yep. and i was like and i remember this fucking feeling which is kind of weird but like i had the feeling like when your text came in i know where i was and i was with the kids i was at this restaurant this vegan restaurant called sage picking up some food I looked down at my phone. There was a text from a number that I didn't recognize. And then it said like, Hey, it's Darren or something like that. And I was like, my life's my, I, f- I had the feeling of like, my life's about to change. Holy shit. Yeah. Has it is really crazy. Yeah. A bit. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I remember, I think I, you know, it was so early on that, and it was so psychedelic in nature for Lacey who had been following you sure. have been like interested in your art and your, the saga of your life yeah. and Viana's. And so for Lacey, I, you know, I was sending a screenshot of that and like, it was kind of like, well, this is getting trippy. Yeah. And then, then Carson had, uh, I think he had, he had um, asked me, because I'd said like, oh yeah, we were at this dinner and like we saw, you know, and he, he was like, Hey, uh, uh, about a week later, this is before you and I had hung out or something. Maybe we'd hung out on the bench. It was so early on. Mm-hmm. And he texted me and he was like, Hey, do you know, Darren, do you like, cause I'm trying to get a print and I know it's last minute. It was like five o'clock and he's trying to get a print for that night. Right. And I'm like, well, I mean, I know that he does all his things through email. So just email him and they sell stuff at summer camp. He's like, Oh, that's helpful. Yeah. So he went down to summer camp. I think he bought a print, but I didn't want it. He was asking for your number. And I was like, I'm not going to do this yet. I barely know Darren. I'm not going to like, no, I'm not yeah. going to complicate this. Yeah. Yet. I'm going to wait till and, he moves in. Then I'm going to invite people into his house. Yeah. <laughs> and Carson was living next door at the time. And then the next thing you knew you're over hanging out at our place and Carson comes home and he sees you hanging out in the backyard. Yeah. And 
this was the time where I, I invited you into there. House. I mean, there had to have been some weird cosmic like merging because I, 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 I keep hearing from you so as, crazy. as time goes on of, of similarities that Carson and I share, mm -hmm. but then obviously like massive differences yep. as well. So we yeah. are this kind of ying, ying, is it ying yang? Yeah. Or ying yang. Ying yang. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Where there is this, like we, we kind of match up and then there's differences, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's really oh, interesting. Dude, the overlap yeah. is so crazy yeah. that, that you were over visiting in our backyard that we didn't know he was moving out yet. Right. That, that you were to be the person that would be in that sure. place, that there would be all these similarities and everything. And that, that thing that bring, like, um, I knew that he was a fan of your work mm -hmm. and I, I, I'm a fan of his art. And I was like, Oh, the thing to do right now, and this is just what I'm famous for, is like I don't, I don't, you know, all the ways that things could be awkward momentarily. Mm -hmm. Like, there's regard. I had just have this overwhelming regard for, like, I knew that he, I knew that he asked me for a print at one point or your mm -hmm. number. Here you are hanging out in the backyard, and I, I thought. I want him to see, I want Darren to see his art and I want him to get some validation of that. I know like, uh, you know, just even you examining it or yeah. being over and looking at it, like that would make me feel I maybe awkward for a minute, but yeah. like overall it's kind of cool. It's like a, it's a thing that just doesn't yeah, happen. And I, I really do appreciate it as much as I, I would never do that. And, right. I, and I, that's what some, so there's so many aspects of what I appreciate about you and about our relationship is that you do shit that I wouldn't do. And then it forces me to examine like why I wouldn't do that mm. because of that momentary awkwardness, because it, or, or a sustained awkwardness or whatever. It's just like, it's, it's a, an apprehension based out of fear or, or just out of apprehension. And, and mm. so, yeah, just that, that, that as I kind of distill it down to like walking across the dog park and going to talk to the person who just came in and you've never seen before and you go up and you're like, Hey, you know, whatever. Yeah. And like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I just, it's just also like interesting to think about the, you're walking through your apartment. You yeah. were walking through your future yes, apartment. Yes, yes. And it was completely different. The walls, were the walls green, like a dark green, if I remember. Yeah, I think so. And he had everything done was some, dark. He had done some, some, some decorating yeah, <laughs> on his own. Yeah. Well, yeah. and it's just like, I think everything, uh, matched up the way it does as a home. I mean, as obviously it's like a representation of your home is a, is a, in a large way, a representation of who you are. Yeah. And so, yeah. And just to like come in and, and have a completely different space, but yeah. Fuck, he's man, Carson so Wynn and his art, he he's, uh, his, his Instagram is open now and, uh, Wynn is with two ends and, um, I forget. I think he's Car Carson, Carson C. Win. Yeah. Is his Instagram uh, thing and check out his art. And he's a, he's, um, he's, yeah, just one of my closest <laughs> friends. He's yeah. one of my closest friends. And like, just like, it's incredible that the Joe Roberts book kind of brought the really, yin yang together yeah, for us. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It did. And he basically bought the book and then he was like, Hey, uh, I got this and I'm always a little weird of like whether or not he bought it for me. He's like, here, take this. And then at one point, like you think that it's yours and then he'll go like, Hey, can I get the book back? Uh, and it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that book is amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, amazing it's just like, it's like 20 bucks on Amazon. I encourage everybody to get it. I'm going to go upstairs and pee. You don't have to keep talking. We can just pause and I'll edit this out. Okay. <laughs> I had too much decaf. Oh yeah. So, all right. <laughs> So one of, one, oh, one, okay. <laughs> one of the things that I heard today 
on the on the the Chappelle thing was you know and this I was so thinking about you in this because you and I share and we mentioned it um, a few times on here this love of hip hop and watching the emergence of hip hop and watching and being really gravitated toward conscious hip hop and watching the underground the underground scene. Uh, emerge as something really important and become less underground, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But they were meant, they were, I guess they were recording on the day that Malik B died from the roots. Oh, I didn't even know that. I didn't know it either. Jesus. And they start talking about Malik B. I'd love to get an octogenarian rapper at some point, please. Like like in someone who lives into their eighties or nineties from hip hop. Yeah. And they're just, and, and Mose is like struck in real time with getting this information. And they, he goes, he's like, put on, put on, uh, I'm trying to do Moses. <laughs> he's always like, it's real slurry yeah. And, yeah. and it's amazing. I love it. Like, but, um, he says, uh, he, he requests to put on hundred percent Dundee, uh-huh. you know, that's all. Uh-huh. And that song, like I hadn't heard that song in so long and he's, and they're playing it and Moses kind of like rapping along uh-huh. a little bit. And I was thinking this bond that you and I have, first of all, all the people that I could belong to, like the, all the people who represent something that I could belong to are, are dead. Yeah. And so most of the time I feel like I'm, I don't belong to anything. Yeah. And and I'm walking around feeling that way. Like I'm, I'm reading every day. And by the way, like, you know, people are like, I, I think there's a fascination with how to become wise or how to like, how to, I don't know, how to live a more meaningful life. And how. well, I think the thing, every time you, you're just starting to talk about this, all I can think of is Rick Rubin of that idea of, dude, that's crazy. That he has that. some wiseness that he's right. aging. Right. He's presumably aging. Well, he has more wealth than he could ever need lives out in Malibu. I, I mean, I look to him as like, I don't follow him too closely, but yeah. just every time I see him, I'm like, I want that. No, me too. <laughs> and, and it's crazy that you bring him up because I had this profound moment um, surrounding Rick Rubin a week ago to the day. It was actually, yeah, I was sitting with my mom. I was in Joshua tree and, and I was showing her Shangri-La day after my birthday. Yep. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and I had bounced from Ohio that afternoon after playing mini golf and, and just got away to go to be with my mom and sort of like have an experience of was it like me being me outside of all my dynamics? Yeah. Parent outside of uh, being a boyfriend, being a podcast partner and a, and a best friend. But you were still a son though. <laughs> yeah, I was a son. And I was, and I was kind of like, well, that's the one I'll, I'll, I'll confront and yeah. sort of be around. And yeah. she happens to have the place where I can stay and go do this <laughs> yeah. experiment, <laughs> you know? So I'm showing her, I was like, have you seen Shangri-La? And she was like, no. And, and I tell her about it. And so we sit down and we start watching this uh, Showtime documentary on Rick Rubin and his studio. And I'm having this experience while I'm watching it. And I feel like it's a very unique experience of like, of basically all the stories that I've told on here about my encounters with, or my periphery dancing with Rick Rubin in one way or another. Sure. And how he's always been this influence. And then most recently with like, 
you know, his links to things that I can't even talk about on the show yep. that are incredible. There's an incredible synchronicity of Rick Rubin. That's, that's related to the show that unfortunately is it's so good that I we can't can talk about it. how we yeah. can't talk about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm, I'm having this unique experience watching it. And I, I tell my mom, I was like, I'm, I, I share the, the feeling that I'm having and I'm talking about, you know, like, you know, like the, you know, and, and recapping on all of our various interactions and she goes, and she, this is something my mom had never said to me. And I was kind of like, well, anyway, I'll just say what it is, but she was like, you know, you're him, right? (laughs) She goes, you know, you're, you're, you're as important as Rick Rubin. And this is my coming from your mother Uh and my mother who I've hurt the most who I stole from the most, who I lied to the most, who, who went to bat for me when I wasn't even worth it. And she went to bat for me and defended me against people because she was defending the light. Like she was really protecting the last bit of the flickering candle flame Mm. for years. Yeah. And then finally just was like, you know, came home, we were sharing an apartment back in the day in 2003, before I hit Skid Row, we were sharing an apartment and she came home and like some of her shit was gone again. And I couldn't, you know, and I made up some story about it and she's like, that's it. I'm fucking out. And she moved out and didn't tell me where she was moving. Like, she's like, I'm, I, I'm the last person in your life. And like, and I'm going away. Mm Mm-hmm because I can't watch this anymore. And I was just keeping up the lie. You know, I would not back down about the lie because if I did, and this is the thing with people lying, I think where we want accountability from these figures in our lives that, that uh, where we just want them to give us a peek behind the curtain that they feel a certain way. Mm -hmm. And they, they're just so solidified in their thing. My theory is because I lived it, that if you acknowledge, if you take accountability for one thing, you have to take accountability for all of it. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you, if you let somebody into the peak, they see everything. Sure. And so that's why people keep up this, like, now let's just not talk about it. Let's move on. Yeah. You know? And so my mom being in that experience and now for years seeing me and we're talking so from 2003 where she saw me enter into treatment and, and then I became like Mr. AA and Mr. Sober and, and living a whole other life, which she was proud of. But then always, there's always been this part and I could hear it even in the last year where as success has come and as I've gone further down the line, always just worried that still like I'm going to fall prey to ego or I'm going to like, I'm just, uh, I'm going to crumble mm-hmm. and not having that come true. Finally at a point we're sitting on this couch and she says, you know, you're him, right? She's like, I, she goes, I'm in awe of you. Mm, amazing. She's like, I'm, I just, I listen now to the podcast. She's like, not as your mother. Mm-hmm. She's like, I'm listening to hear what you have to say. Wow. And I, I was just, I, this is a moment I didn't even know that I'd been waiting for, but it was like the last bit it felt like of like 
someone releasing me and blessing me. Yes. To go. Yeah. Back. I mean, that's you someone, are your free. mother. Like, yeah. 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 For you're, sure. You're free from everything that you've ever been. Is my, my mom's listening. Hey mom, could you uh, give me some <laughs> moment like that? That'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, Lulu. I'm kidding. No, no. Lulu is the best. <laughs> I don't think she listens to the show anymore. Anyways. Yeah, right. Oh, <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, yeah it was wow. A, it was amazing. Wow. And, yeah. Well, yeah, it's funny that you, you know, were set out to kind of leave those roles behind and, and be yourself. And I jokingly, you know, said about your mother, but that yeah. seemed to be like you needed to go out and be there with her yeah. in that in that moment. And, I did and experience that. Yeah, totally, totally an experience. And what we also found was, which was interesting, because in the last year of going out to visit her. I would like run into things where like uh, areas of like, she will want us to come out and visit. Mm -hmm. But then like when we get there, it would feel like we're in the way. Sure. Because like, there's a certain way that she's used to living. Yeah, yeah, of and, course. Like, and I love that, that people that like kind of live out in the desert, it's just like, they have their set, like, yeah. don't fuck with my routine or my yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so we would come out and like, it would feel like, you know, I'd put a glass down and then she'd move the yeah. glass when I wasn't looking and yeah. I would think I was losing my fucking mind. <laughs> yeah. Like, or I put my jacket on a thing yeah. and then Wrong it would thing. disappear. Yeah. And then I'd go like, and I'd be looking all over her house. And then finally I go, my, hey mom, have you seen my jacket? And she's like, oh yeah, I put it in the closet. And because I, I, I'm really concerned with where I put things down. Sure. So it just started to feel like I was in the way. And we had a talk about that at one point we cleared that up, but now just like well, staying with her, like it, she said by the end of me staying there, which was about a week, like she's like, this was like, nobody was even here. Right. Because we live so in sync and we're so like the same person when yeah. it's just us. Yeah. And I'm in, it's part of the thing to see is like, I'm in really important dynamics. The dynamic of being a father, the dynamic of being a partner Yeah, and all of these people come with personalities and ways. And I'm, I think that I'm, I hyper-focus on not so much, um, like I, I, I focus on my mom, not being able to connect with these people because they, they, they don't see her enough to, to understand exactly the way that she, she works. Oh, of course. Of and course, so I get yeah. worried about that yeah, hyper focus sure. and then it takes me out of the moment and yeah. all that. Like, yeah. and so we, that's why we all just need to that. stay away from each other and just <laughs> be alone and we never have to worry about this. Yeah. But then, so, so anyway, so my mom's saying that to me, a good cry. And I was also like, okay, so this is next, this is the next level for me. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, okay, I've been freed from the one person who, who sees me more than anyone else yeah. can see me and understands me more than anyone else. Um, throughout my whole life, the arc of it is now has now released me and said, you're not even, you're my son and I'm proud of you, but I don't even see you in that way anymore. Wow, you're just some, you know, you're just a podcast I listen to. <laughs> <laughs> You and Joe Rogan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, and so I thought at that moment, I was like, okay, so I'm going back to Ojai and, and this is, this is going to change my life. This yeah. is a window that I've just moved through that is, I'm going to see, I'm going to feel the, the release. Amazing. Amazing. Blessing. Beautiful. Yeah. Mazel tov. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I, I just, it, it struck me uh, the thought of uh, the idea that your brother had, 
You all right? Yeah. <laughs> you just yerba mate yourself? Just yerba mate. Uh, can God. I share that yeah. I, that seed of an idea? And maybe if it's- Which one? The, yeah. your, the one your brother about the, the deli. The oh, deli. yeah, 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 yeah. So- yeah. Uh, Mention his name. Jamie's fake brother, Ben. <laughs> Um, no, oh, hold on. I want to tell, I want to see what sequence oh, I want to tell this. All right. So I'll just go with the one I was going. Uh, so, uh, Jamie's brother, Ben, yeah. um, I guess he just wrote to you and said, we, you need to, st- we, you guys need to, or we all need to start a, uh, a delicatessen, psychedelicatessen, psychedelicatessen which right. I was like, ama- like immediately like bowled over of how awesome an idea that was. I love playing with language and still finding ways to like put things together. It just was like, it was out, he was like out in the desert with V, you know, with like vegetarian and vegan options. And it was just all like, it just all like collided in my mind of like, this is a fucking genius idea. Features your art. Yeah. It's a hang yeah. where people can come and just, it's a space yeah. where I mean, people it, can get their fucking grub on. And yes. It's a, a no brainer. And, and yeah. especially in that, in that place that, um, still, I think there's room for, for that room. Um, not just logistically, but just room for it. Like it would be like the desert is a special place for anyone who has not been to Joshua Tree. It obviously has a special energy or special gravitation. People that live there much like here don't like it when people visit there. So it's got that kind of contention, but it's free country. Um, And so, yeah, the idea of a psychedelic attestant was just like, oh my fucking God, I loved it so much. And who knows, you know, we're all tired and we're all overwhelmed. And if if it happens, it happens amazing. Um, I wish we had that Adderall spirit of like getting, (laughs) getting to do something like that you're so fucking witty man <laughs> really? yeah you just and I'm, I'm not even i'm not even sitting up right now notes <laughs> take a picture of me how, how my, we last time all right take cool. a picture of how witty i am my, right now my brother's built by carpenter that's his Instagram. Um, so I, yeah one more thing about that which was what led me to to think of that and i think it's it's worthy to share because it's such a great idea uh, and i always as, as anytime there's a gr- great idea i immediately uh google it to see if it's been done before and there was a place out i think somewhere in new york it was like a, a bagel place called the psychedelic test and it's permanently closed so it's like almost like that's up for grabs again and whatever whatever it's like doesn't matter i just i i, I really value being wholly original like when i when i write my little word art things i'll often like it'll come to me and i'll go oh man that's, that's pretty good and then the first thing i do is google it and go well someone said something kind of similar so i don't you know i kind of wait i wait i take that stuff into consideration yeah of course you do um but the reason that uh it came to mind around the topic that we were just talking about yeah and this is i think this is very funny on the menu at the psychedelic contestant the rick the rick <laughs> The whole time you were sharing this beautiful story about your mom, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to share the Rick Rubin. (laughs) Which I guarantee, I guarantee you Google it. Some there's some place in LA that serves the fucking. No, I don't think so. Think so? No. Okay. I was once actually, (laughs) like, and my mom, you know, was watching that show, and then she goes, "You know, okay." So to make the Rick Rubin vortex even stranger, my mom's like, "You know, I laid on his bed, right?" And then she sent me a picture of her laying on Rick Ruman's bed in his Hollywood home. Oh, my God. She went there once when he wasn't there because she was going to help him sell some of his stuff. Yeah. Like this connection to this motherfucker. Yeah, right. It's crazy. Not a motherfucker. <laughs> all respect. I mean, like, I, I'm I have to at some point be like I, I'm if anybody can make that happen out there that's listening, like if you know him and, and you've been following this story and you can make it up, but you don't even need to also, because if it's supposed to happen, I'm sure. Well, you know, it doesn't matter. You are Rick Rubin. Yeah, (laughs) that's true. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, about your brother. And it's, um, it's funny how these, these, these kind of concepts are coming to me, uh, as they are, but, uh, I put up a, a post a while ago last week, um, where I don't know, like, I don't know how my fucking mind works. Not that I need to, 
I've always been fascinated with how much money people have and how much sex people have. Oh and yeah. So yeah, I yeah. put it up in my stories. How much money do you have in the bank and how much sex do you have? Yeah. Not at all expecting people to be so fucking open. Yeah. Like I, and then they're like, and you, and I'm like, fuck you. I'm not telling you how much money I have and how much sex <laughs> right, I have. Like right. total hypocritical uh, look at it. But yeah, people were just like, offering that information up willy nilly. And, and I shared it, it anonymously with people, but I'm getting not, and I don't really know most people. So I don't know me like, Oh, my fucking neighbor makes this or whatever, but yeah. your brother shared. So I know how much money your brother has in the Whoa. bank and how much sex he has. Oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I don't even know that. <laughs> Why would you, you know, know, like right. seriously, but it's amazing to ha- kind of have that space. And I've seen it done with, um, at, you know, as reluctant as I am to share other people's podcasts on the show, I will do this cause it's, it's in my top three, it's called love and radio. And it's this show that just stitches together these stories where they give you, it never starts with an introduction. Uh, you have basically no idea what you're about to listen to. And I love, it. it's like a, a Russian rule of mm. like just trusting that it's going to be a really compelling story. And mm. in the way that it's doled out throughout, you're getting information. It's just, it's, inc- it's masterfully done. Mm-hmm. And there was a, they, they had the, um, the uh, secrets hotline where you call in and, oh, and yeah. then there was one called post secret that came out years ago where this guy was having people send postcards to him with like the darkest secrets, like only like close to I've, I murdered somebody type level oh, secrets. Wow, yeah. And then he compiled them all in a book, you know, anonymously and all that stuff. So yeah. it's interesting to see how uh, people like, I don't know, like, what is that? Like where that they're, that they're so like waiting for somebody to just be like, share something with me. I think that's why, I mean, if in these spaces, I mean, it seems to happen to me everywhere I go. I'm, I'm so practiced at being a space that people fall into it. And it's like, even the most, like somebody you would never think is going to sit there and just want to hold your attention. Yeah. Like just falls in because nobody's fucking asking them about their lives. For sure. Nobody's asking. Yeah. And they're holding this stuff in all the time and not getting to say it. And then you find somebody who's kind of motivated that way to listen and to really listen. And I'll fucking listen and make myself late to something yeah, because of the value of it. And in those few moments, like it's like, finally somebody's listening to me. And that's part of the thing like of, of doing this work um, that I do with people is like, I pretend that I'm a really good journalist. Mm, that's great. That's I, that's the role that I get into is like you wear like your um, fedora with your little press pass. Give it a scoop. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, I, I you know, it that's feels a, really a bit like a sixty it. minutes type thing, yeah. like you know, these investigative things where people um, are are learning about the person, and so I'll bring something up from our session one in session three yeah. that they're like, God, he was really paying attention to yeah. that. And yeah. I'll carve some question around it or some scenario that they can see the connectivity of this one moment to the rest of the year. For of sure. Yeah. You know, and I think that also one of the things that, and I was talking about like belonging earlier from the show, like I was listening to that and hearing about Malik B and I was going, you know, all the people that I could belong to, uh, a tribe that I could belong to are all dead except for hip hop. Mm. Like hip hop is one of these things where like listening to these stories about Malik B and then hearing 100% Dundee, the root song and like going, I, I was smiling on this walk this morning going like, I belong to something that's really important. Mm-hmm. You know, and of course, like you and I belong to Mystical Cynical. No, it's and like, fine. Hip-hop's no. 
<laughs> number one. No, but we both belong to hip hop first and foremost, yeah. you know, and, and, and we take it seriously. And like to, to know that there are people out there our age, I mean, I won't put you in my age group, <laughs> but like Dave, Dave's my age, Dave Chappelle's my age and, and Mose and Talib Kweli, they're all my age. And to know that there's these things out there that people have been paying attention to that they're, that it's just like this, uh, this connection. I felt held. Yeah. I felt held by these stories, Yeah, you know? And I, and I love that. And, and, um, so coming back to, coming back to my brother though, like, Oh, do you want to know? Oh, I thought you wanted to know how much money and how much sex he has. <laughs> no. Well, and also just, so that feeling that I had up there and then what we were talking about here of like, it's, it's, I think within these sessions, people are feeling like they're belonging to something or belonging to somebody who actually wants to hear and for sure. put something together for them. Well, it's probably and why confessionals and churches work. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I was thinking about the efficacy of this. Like, why is it effective? Why is the love is the author? Like, why is it, why is it an effective service? I'm living all the stuff that I'm sharing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like, um, I went to school and I passed a test and all this stuff. Like it's all been a living experience. I'm living, uh, studying this stuff every day where people are playing video games for part of their day when mm -hmm. they, you know, or, or reading some novel that is like take this fantasy and takes them out of the thing. Every moment of the day, I'm in active participation in growth. Like mm -hmm. every moment, like in the moments that I'm not, you know, they're, they're really still valuable to me to go like, do I want to spend my time watching this comedy or do I want to watch a documentary that's going to, you know, keep me engaged in the growth process? Mm-hmm. You know, like how fucking free do you want to get is something to ask yourself. Are you if it means I can't watch that comedy tonight, then not very free. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. Yeah. It, and it's just the cho choosing that as the option fucking hats off to you. Cause, cause I think that that's why alcoholism and drug addiction and, and the things that you've, I guess, have already gone through and experienced are there. And I was thinking about how earlier when, when uh, thinking about the, the levels of highs and the levels of lows that you've experienced through drug use, uh, that some people who have just not for any real conscious choice, just again, out of like accessibility have just never been high. Yeah. And so they're, they're, missing out is the right word, but they haven't experienced certain capacities that your body is able to reach. Granted it's through right. some other substance, but right. this idea that you're, or even through, through, you know, physical contact with another person that, yeah. that there's, there's things you can reach and levels you can hit that, um, I don't know if, if it's like, if you've kind of missed out a little bit on the human experience, if you have not to say if you haven't right. done drugs, you have, you've missed out, but there are, there's a volume knob to this experience that can be kind of tweaked with. So um, true, man. So true. And, and so to say, to get to a point where you're opting to not potentially crack up at a comedy to watch an opi opioid thing to stay in, to stay in the work or to stay in the thing is yeah. just like, obviously I think again, just in the, the, to, to tune the knob, be like tonight, right, tonight right. I'm going to fucking watch a comedy tomorrow. I'll watch documentary. Right. Like, yeah, it's exactly. Like, yeah. Exactly. There's value in it for sure. And, and to just go, 
I don't know. But it's also like interesting to think of like, uh, if you just watched comedies every night and you were just like yucking it up every night and feeling really good and happy and light, but you don't know, uh, fuck all what's going on around the world. Is that such a bad thing? I don't know. No, because especially if you're working to be a comedian Yeah, comedians are, are people who take people out of the moment. Like they're serious soul people. Like where they make people feel better about their circumstances for a minute. Yeah. You know, and that's magic. I like to consider, I'm like, I got a little of that as well. (laughs) (laughs) No, totally. (laughs) Creating gaps. Yeah. With the fart noise. Yep. Yep. Um, Well, you, you had mentioned uh, in the kind of the same vein as the, um, which is interesting. I didn't know about that Chappelle, Chappelle and, and most and uh, Talib yeah. podcast, but the Talib party, the, uh, what is it? Party people. Yeah. He had a, a guest on and it's funny oh, that I'm bringing lib. this up cause I was busting Jamie's chops about bringing it up on the show. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a musical artist named Mad Lib and, and much like Talib said on the show, his, 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 his collection and his discography and his, his just bio is way too immense to get into. He's a just phenomenal, been around forever. He's from Oxnard, which is just, you know, the next town over, over next past Ventura, which is like crazy to me when I moved here. I was like, Oh my God. And Anderson packs from there and everything. But yeah. Uh, they talk, he's, he's a very elusive by choice. Um, and he does hardly any interviews. There's hardly any press or video about him. And he's in the, 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 he's affected these characters musically where he's not had to really bring himself out too much. He's, he raps, he produces, he DJs. He's just, just profound. I mean, that, like that word, extrapolate that word times a million and that's mad lib totally and uh but what i was really resonating with last night was was his elusiveness was his choice uh, his conscious effort to stay just out of it to just bury himself in his work and much like jay dilla who's his contemporary and and who they work together on a project yeah and just like that soul brothers of like talking about meeting each other and not having to have to talk just right. meeting over the art and, 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 and bonding in that way. Yeah. And I just was like, I was really struck by, by that and felt, um, I mean, insp- I don't know if inspired is the right word. Cause I don't, I don't really know what I could do. I mean, I know what I could do to work towards that, but, but really seeing that as like, wow, what a, what a, um, what a mindful existence of yeah. like not, not putting himself in a position to be subjected to bullshit. Put it in the art and let the, yes. the art dictate it and let the art bring in whatever attention you're supposed to get, but you don't have to propagate it. Like but also even so, even more so for him, which I think is true what you say, but even more so for him is I don't think that he would necessarily mind if nothing he made ever came out. Totally. <laughs> right. He, and, and, I, and then I started thinking about the, the difference in mediums where, um, I'm probably more satisfied when something's done than I am in the process. And mm. for him, the process is as much is of, of joy as, as maybe, or maybe more than it is of the final product. And yeah. so being in, and, and, and then I started to think, wow, I've never really had music aside from having a very short, extremely, extremely illustrious rap career yeah. <laughs> um, uh, where I've really dabbled in music. And, and immediately he, he, he discusses on that episode where he, uh, he, created i think it was the freddie gibbs album he yeah. did it on an ipad yeah and he said he was like i wasn't bragging was about doing an ipad i was bragging or i was showing like don't use excuse don't make excuses if you're a producer if you want to make music right you can literally download a nine dollar app and do yeah. the same thing the mpc so as soon as i da- finished that episode i downloaded the mpc app I, last I night i have <laughs> to get the fucking i have to get it's it so i mean obviously like you're not going to just get it like or like understand it immediately and i was like you know hitting with it and it was like getting late and i was just like oh fuck this if i'm going to take this serious or or want this to be a creative outlet that I 
feel fulfilled about. Yeah. I need to learn, which is a new thing for me. I've not learned anything new in my adult mm-hmm. life. And so I was just curious to kind of like have that as like, what if I was able to still do this very public facing thing that I do in this show and, and, and in the Instagram world, and then just like fucking make beats on the side that, that I'm like, can't wait to get home and fuck around with the MPC like that. Lacey's it was just really inspiring. freak out hearing you say this because yeah. the connectivity around this is crazy because I've been saying for the whole the entire expanse of our relationship that like I need to get back to making beats yeah, because it's one of these things that like, if I had my druthers, I would just be sitting around making beats like yeah. all day sure. because it was one of these things that I, I love doing yeah, and, and uh very sort of in the Mad Lib vein of like taking jazz samples and, yeah. and, and it was something that people saw me as like, uh, as, uh, like an identification mm-hmm. with that. Like he's a bee maker and it's one of the things I miss so much. And to think about that, you downloaded that app. And I was thinking, I was like, I got it. That's the app. I yeah. didn't know that there was an NPC fucking app. Yeah, for sure. Um, but it's, you know, she also commented, Lacey commented on like how shy they are. And you, you sent me a text yeah. separately going like, isn't it funny how shy they are or something? Yeah. No, mad Libs like mad, just mad withdrawn and, yeah. and shy. And, right. and, uh, he, you know, Talib and the, his co-host would ask really like profound questions that could get a long answer. And he would yeah. be like, I don't know. It's just, you know, yeah. and so it just, it is. And even he referenced when, when he did, uh, when Taleb interviewed him on BET, like years ago, he was yeah. like, oh, those are my shy days. Yeah. I think kind of half laughing, like knowing he's still in his shy days where it's yeah. just like, I'm just not for the pe- I'm me. I'm not for the people. I'm, mm. I'm my shit is like my, my craft and my, my, what I produce yeah. is for the people or not. Yeah. Like he said, he's like, he was like talking about the hundreds of shit records he's made where he was like, when he was doing loop pack, that was like early days when I was started fucking with him where he was like, we handed in like 300 tracks over to this. Like, it's just like, what? And you're all, so you're doing that because you fucking love to do it. You're not being like, here's 300 put out three. Like it was just like, here's all our stuff. Like whatever you think is going to make it on the album. So I I was working with somebody uh, last week and they were talking about their shy childhood Uh and they were saying that they did their childhood their childhood <laughs> <laughs> right there. yeah <laughs> uh and they said you know they fell into art at a young age and they liked being in nature and what i heard that i said in the moment was you pick the two things like art is taking something that's inside of you and and creating it into form outside of you and being in nature is a way of where nature says everything. You don't need to say anything. Mm, nice. So it was like both, you know, both of those, uh, you were still engaged. Like you were, you found the things that could do it for you. Right. You know, so you didn't have to say much. Right. And I think that's the thing that we're talking about here with, with Mad Lib is that, you know, the music says it all. He doesn't say much. Mm-hmm. And what Lacey was commenting on is like the, you can hear people who don't normally, you know how like there's this exchange between you and I, there's, I think one of the commodities of this show, one of the priceless aspects of it is that two people are, are not holding anything back to sound cool, Mm -hmm. to seem cooler than they are. If anything, we're, we're, we're (laughs) to the fart button and it, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gotta work. I'm just going to put the, the whole board on my lap on my chest next time. I've never man. seen somebody uh, <laughs> uh, swing a, stri- a strike at a fart noise. <laughs> just not, not connect. Whoosh. Um, 
you know, so we, 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 this show, this is episode 26 and in here contains my whole life story more than I ever would have thought would be recorded. Sure. And, and, and we're, we don't hold back on complimenting. We don't hold back on sharing where we're scared of things. Yeah. And, and there's, uh, that's, I'm used to that, you know, and then hearing Talib and Madlib talk like, their little complimentary things when they're trying to compliment each other and the awkwardness of for it sure, and the for quiet, sure. like, yeah, yeah. And, and Lacey was like, they're so polite. Like they're, t- yeah. Well, I also think that that's, that's indicative of the culture. That's what I heard of, of hip hop also probably yep. like within African Americans. Like it's just I've a heard, lot. It's I've, yeah, for sure. And I've heard that <clears throat> male vulnerability within the African American community is, is, is scarce sure. from African Americans. Yeah. That's their report is that, you know, men aren't vulnerable about, they don't talk about their feelings. Right. And I think it's, uh, certainly it can only not can only, but it, it, it's definitely helpful to do it around art where it's like through expression of like, oh, yeah. because it's clear you yeah. put out a record. I listened to it. I bobbed my head. It was good. I'm right. telling you it was good. Thank you for telling me it was good. Like a right. more cut and dry of like, not this nuanced, like your vulnerability is really important. And thank you for sharing. <laughs> right. It. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I know. And when people say, Oh, your vulnerability is very important. Like that thing is like, you're talking about, you're not being vulnerable. You're talking about the vulnerability. Right. Right. Like, and in that moment, that's not the thing. Yeah. I mean, that's that, when I hear people mention all these phrases and terms and stuff like that, it's not, it's, it's, you're creating a glossary around what should be just the act of being these things. Sure. Yeah. Potentially. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're just fucking awkward ass creatures, man. We're <laughs> yeah. so awkward. We're working it out. Though. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing and we're yeah. trying our best. And that's all we can ask is just keep trying your best. That's a good place to end. And bye-bye. I'm literally going to transition from this right <laughs> into a nap. nap. <laughs> I'm God halfway bless. there. Yeah. Um, it's really great seeing you. you and too, I, man. Um, I look forward to us having many more conversations and just seeing where this fucking takes us. Yeah. Mystic, no, patreon.com slash there's mystical cynical.com too. I haven't been there in years. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com slash mystical cynical is a way you can show support to the show. Uh, something I haven't talked about forever. 8884 cynic kind of mm-hmm. forgot that we have a hotline call in and tell us how much money you make and how much sex you have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be really cool if you did that. I love that information. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just share whatever you got going on. Um, let us know if you've taken Adderall, any Adderall experiences I'd <laughs> like to hear. Truly. I'd love to hear like who growing up, you know, if they were prescribed that, if yeah. they found, you know, it's always like that. I, I only kind of hear it recreationally, like someone was prescribed it in college and then they they gave it to their roommate, you know, it's like that way oh, yeah, it kind of like spreads and they got it through like an exam or whatever. Yeah. But if anyone has any positive Adderall stories, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this break that we took, there was a whole week, uh, maybe even a week and a half it was, but I feel rejuvenated. I feel excited even for Friday, even though cool. we're, we're, we're done here on Tuesday right now and thinking about Friday, I'm like, this is going to be great. Like I feel a new voice uh, has emerged. I Sweet. feel comfort. Around well, it. I mean, I think the important thing is, is that we have to uh, simultaneously be carrying on a life right. while we do this show. And so it's not like, uh, like I said, before we got on the show is like that, all that comes into the show. And so yep. for us to have taken time off, hopefully there's some life that's been lived and experience and lessons and all these things that can be brought to the show. And then, you know, within between today and Friday, who the fuck knows? Who the yeah. fuck knows? I'm going to go get bandages taken off my eyeballs tomorrow. <laughs> Maybe I'll have something to bring that, that out. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. All right, man. Well, I love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye.